is Bloomberg Surveillance. One of the stories that hasn't gotten a lot of ink is how poorly the Republicans are doing on fundraising for congressional candidates. The political environment is awful, and I think this is one of the things dragging markets down. When people say the market's bottoming out, to me that implies we'll have a big cyclical rebound, and that I don't see. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning. It is 8 o'clock on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee. Francine Lacroix is sitting in this hour for Tom Keene. Where in the world is Tom Keene? We told you yesterday he's somewhere where they take dollars. Today our second hint is that uh, there may be sand between his toes. We'll let everybody try to figure out uh, where Tom is. Whether or not it is because Tom is not here, but <laughs> we are seeing uh, markets pointing to a higher open. S&P futures up four points right now, two-tenths uh, two gain for Dow futures as well. They're up 42. In Europe, the stock 600 is up by a point. That is four-tenths of a percent. We're going to uh, take a look at some of the earnings that are out this morning. A number of uh, companies reporting, Procter & Gamble, uh, earnings, top analyst estimates, uh, Eli Lilly earnings, uh, DuPont earnings, all topping analyst estimates. One that came in a little bit lighter than forecast, at least uh, on a sales basis, Fiat Chrysler. Over in Europe, uh, Ite Macaulay is uh, joining us now to talk a little bit about the auto industry and what it looks like out there. Uh, he is with uh, City Global Markets and covers the auto industry. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, Fiat. It, it, I mean, yesterday GM you know, comes in and, and, and looks good. Fiat, every month they beat in terms of sales, but uh, we're looking for them to be able to translate that into profit. Yeah, well, I, I don't cover them. I don't actually have approval to, to speak on that issue, or so can't comment on, on the earnings this morning. But certainly, you mentioned GM uh, last week having another strong uh, you know, earnings. And you know, here's a stock in GM that's been trading as if the auto cycle globally is about to end, and yet they do nearly a you know, 10% margin in North America in the first quarter. And, and what was not a very easy market, particularly on used car pricing, which came under pressure. And think about South America, where their sales were down about 26%, yet losses narrowed uh, you know, significantly. So some of these companies. You know, like GM are showing um, you know, very different behavior on an earnings perspective relative to maybe what they once were. Uh, uh, where is GM doing it? Uh, you know, they, they've introduced a lot of new stuff. Is that it, that people like their new cars, or is it uh, Mary Barra's uh, management that is, uh, has changed things? I think it's both. I think they've been very proactive in restructuring underperforming operations in the past few years. Uh, you're taking brands out of Europe uh, is one example, shutting down some capacity globally. But one thing that's really overlooked here in the U.S., you, know, you hear a lot of talk about the peak of the cycle, can SAR go higher? I think one of the areas that the street is really missing is a fundamental supply-demand imbalance in the all-important pickup trucks. Remember, the pickup truck segment is where the, the core profit center is. Um, you know, There's not a, a ton of competition like in other segments, and this segment is performing very well, and that's helping their margins. And we don't think it's just some you know, housing uh, explanation or kind of oil price explanation, but rather a, a real supply-demand imbalance that's been, uh, frankly, overlooked out there. Uh, Itai, talk to us a little bit about the sweet spot, right? And you firmly believe that GM and Ford have a market share edge in the coming years because they precisely are in this sweet spot. 
Yeah, yes, correctly. So, you know, we do have imbalances. There are pressures in, in car segments. I talked about the, the pressure we saw in used car segments. Uh, but both uh, GM and Ford are very strong in the pickup truck and SUV segments, which have been strong. And the question I think people have to ask, particularly in the pickup truck segment, is it just some sort of a fluke because of, you know, oil or housing or is it something else? And we firmly believe and have for many years that it's, it's something else. It is a supply-demand imbalance uh, that, that's been out there. And, you know, here's a segment that, again, does not have a ton of competition, is, is, has, you know, fairly good loyalty. Um, so we think globally pickup trucks is actually a very attractive segment, um, and, and, and there's still you know, a fair amount of demand out there, as we've been seeing in the, in the numbers. And I think we think about big picture and what's happening in the transformation of the auto industry. You know, we've written you know, about autonomous driving, you know, ride sharing, and you know, I think having a core pickup truck franchise that, that might be less prone to some of these, you know, disruptions or transformations is another advantage that could let these companies actually pursue some of these opportunities in autonomous and ride sharing as opposed to perhaps being feel threatened by them because they have this core business generating very strong profits. Itai, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball because I came into the newsroom this morning. It was very early uh, for our listeners in the U.S. and I saw the Mitsubishi news, right? Mitsubishi Motors and proper mileage tests date back to 1991. Now, the first thing that I thought of is, wow, 1991, we weren't even looking at emissions back then, right? It was all about fuel efficiency. And how can we be sure that this does not and will not affect other car makers worldwide? Sure. Well, just you know, to speak, you know, back on kind of GM and Ford, but particularly, I, I think you know these are always regulatory and, and, and you know risks that, that are inherent in this industry. And what we've written in the past, we have to kind of ask yourself whether it's you know, any issue out there is sort of a legality issue or just maybe a car company trying to lawfully, um, you know, get the best uh, ratings that are out there. So we have to constantly watch. Uh, I mean, I think it's a question that a lot of the automakers, you know, including GM and Ford, have, have been asked upon, uh, you know, very frequently by analysts and media. Um, and, um, you know, kind of have to kind of you know, watch the, the situation. But, you know, it is an industry that has a lot of, you know, these, these types of events. We've seen recalls in the past, as you know, um, and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, kind of have to kind of monitor and evaluate each situation kind of case by case. We're talking with uh, Ite McCauley of City about uh, the auto industry here on Bloomberg Surveillance, brought to you by Cone Resnick, accounting tax advisor. It can be hard to navigate through economic uncertainty. Your business needs industry insight and transformative advice to drive it forward. Find out why at ConeResnick.com. We are still to hear, uh, Ite, from Ford. Uh, This has been a a, a company that kind of took a pause to retool. Uh, Where are they now in that process? Sure, yeah. So, so Ford, you know, I think like GM is enjoying, uh, you know, pricing gains in, in SUVs and, and some pickup trucks as well. You know, I think we have reasons we think GM is in a bit of a sweeter spot in the product cycle currently than Ford. You know, GM is launching the, the Cruise and Malibu vehicles that have not had a redesign in a very long time. So that tends to create a bit of an easier comparison in terms of kind of year-over-year profits. Um, so, you know, Ford is not quite at, at that sweet spot themselves, but they too, like GM, are enjoying the kind of benefits of, uh, of pickup up an SUV strength, uh, and also they've, they've been doing better in Europe as well. You know, you know it's funny because you know, these companies, um, you know, people tend to look at them as, oh gosh, are they over-earning because of the strength in North America? But it's important to you know, remember that Europe is still kind of coming out of a recession, and these companies have been losing money. Now you're seeing those losses narrow. Um, there are other regions in Asia, etc. Of course, South America has been very weak that are kind of you know, arguably under-earning. Um, you know, so Ford is doing some of these tailwinds as well, but we think that from a product cycle positioning, uh, as well as in, in some of the mobility aspects. We think GM probably is, is, is ahead of Ford, um, and, and, and we've kind of you know, expressed that in our, in our ratings approach as well. 
Well, continuing with the France thought about regulation, you had Mark Fields uh, over in China saying this week that we're seeing much more uh, regula- regulation of the auto industries, and especially with the idea of um, climate change and, and fighting that, he's expecting much more. How much is that going to hurt profits going forward? You know, it, it, it's a good question. It's hard to tell. I mean, I think regulations have always been around the auto industry, and you know, it, it, think about the recall activity in the last couple of years that began with GM. There was a lot of concern back there, and then back then that, you know, what's going to happen to margins if car companies have to start recalling more and more vehicles than they did in the past? And yeah, you know, I would look at again the margins of, of GM and Ford. Uh, you know, in, in the last year or so, in North America still remaining very strong. Yeah, you know, as we look at the auto industry, and again, there's, there's a lot of regulation, a lot of these you know issues and noise out there for sure. Uh, but as we look big picture at the auto industry. You know, one of the ironies out there is that there's a lot of talk, again, about peak auto and regulations and all the, the headwinds, but when we look at it, we actually see a lot of uh, profit potential in the car being ahead of us. If you think about you know, autonomous vehicles eventually potentially right. leading to lower insurance, mobility networks, connected car services. So I think for every one of these you know, potential kind of risks that are, that are very real, there's actually a, a laundry list out there of very large new opportunities um, beyond the cycle that I think people are maybe a bit overlooking. So what you're telling me is that in three, four years, you probably won't be covering GM or Ford. You'll be covering Google, right? If you look at autonomous drivers, driverless cars, then you need some – it's the tech play. You have to go down that route unless you think there will be some kind of joint venture between Google or whoever, uh, you know, Facebook and Ford. Yeah, so just, just to be you know, to comment on GM, I think one of the things, and it's, it's a great question, that it makes you know some of the automakers, and we've written that there will be probably automaker winners and losers in, in, in this whole uh, race for autonomous and mobility networks. Again, the race is for what we think are very large pools of, of profits that are sitting out there in autonomous mobility networks. But one thing that does give some, again, not all, but some automakers an advantage is that there is a regulatory framework and there is a need for a lot of data. So think about what, what GM did or announced in January with, uh, with Mobileye to begin to do crowdsourced mapping to be able to collect a lot of data for drivable paths in order to, you know, essentially teach the vehicles how to become better self-driving cars in the future. And I think in order to launch one of these driverless networks, and given, again, to your question before about regulations, which are very real, of course, um, I think some of the large car companies can leverage their size and scale um, and, and, of course, some of their technology partners and, and, and so on to be able to collect more and better data to perhaps gain an early mover advantage. Uh, and, again, if you look at GM, and this, this yeah. now goes through for four, too, in some of the states that we think will begin to launch these types of driverless networks, like perhaps California and New York, uh, the market share of these two companies, okay. GM and Ford, is, is less than their national share. It's a complete okay. opportunity. we got to leave it there for a moment. We'll come back with E.T. McCauley from City and continue talking about the auto industry here on Bloomberg. First, we've got to check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, thank you very much. Today, Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island are holding presidential primaries. Republican Donald Trump could stretch his lead over rivals Ted Cruz and John Kasich. For the Democrats, Hillary Clinton could pretty much put her very close to the magic number for the nomination if she has a strong day. The Philippine military has come under increased pressure to rescue more than 20 foreign hostages after their Muslim extremist captors beheaded a Canadian man. Abu Sayyaf, extremist, beheaded Canadian hostage John Ridsdale yesterday. 
Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau called the murder a heinous act. The Storm Prediction Center out of Oklahoma says conditions are ripe today for severe weather over a large section of the central and southern plains. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike? Thank you, Michael. As I mentioned, futures are a little bit higher, and in the pre-market trade, GM shares up seven-tenths. Ford, which reports tomorrow, uh, t- uh, Thursday, up six-tenths. This is Bloomberg Radio. This news update brought to you by Elbow Beach Bermuda, an oceanfront enclave of classic style and contemporary luxury. Fifty acres of lush gardens and private ribbon of pink sand beach. Go to elbowbeachbermuda.com for more details. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow, and this update is brought to you by Invesco. Explore what high-conviction investing means to Invesco's value equity managers. Watch the conversation at Invesco.com slash interactive. Now let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call, and here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. U.S. futures have improved since the last time we spoke. Dow futures currently higher by 45 points. Sesame's gained four, and Nasdaq futures rise by six. The U.S. 10 yield at 1.9. 92%. And on the U.S. economic front at 8.30, durable goods orders. At 9.45, market U.S. services PMI. And at 10 o'clock, consumer confidence and Richmond Fed. After the Bellas night, Canadian National cut its full-year forecast. DuPont 2016 operating EPS view was above estimates. And Pioneer Natural boosted 2016 production growth views. Some of your earnings highlights this morning. Whirlpool missed. Spirit Airlines, 3M, Lockheed Martin, and Ryder beat. Eli Lilly and Parker Hannifin raised 2016 adjusted EPS forecast. And coach Procter Gamble and JetBlue EPS all beat estimates. In other news, Repta fails to win FDA panel backing. And finally, some of your Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. Caterpillar raised to buy at Argus. Canadian National cut to underperform at Bank of America. U.S. Bancorp cut to hold at Deutsche Bank. Perigo cut to hold at Jefferies. Srepta cut to underway to Piper. And Newmont Mining raised to outperform at RBC. Live from the first breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? All right, thanks, Bill. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K-Go. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Mike and Francine. Karen, thank you very much. E.J. McCauley is director of U.S. Autos and Auto Parts at City Investment Research. We've been talking about uh, Ford and General Motors. Ford uh, due out two days from now. General Motors uh, had a uh, reasonably good quarter. Uh, the last quarter, a, a story caught my eye, uh, E.T., that I just have to ask about. Uh, and it's uh, it does involve Ford, but uh, this is about Tesla. Uh, Ford apparently paid essentially $200,000, $199,950, to buy one of the first store, sport utility vehicles made by Tesla. Why would they spend so much money to get their hands on one? Uh, is there something that they're afraid of here, that they need to see what's in this thing? Uh, yeah, I can't comment specifically on, on, on the kind of that particular news, but I think it's just factual knowledge that, you know, in, in the past, you know, car companies tend to, you know, always look to see what other technologies look like, and, you know, there's teardowns and things like that that are very, you know, kind of common knowledge in, in the industry. So, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly aware of, of what's happened, and but, but, yeah, I mean, I think from Ford and, and GM's perspective, um, you know, these are things that, you know, looking at other technologies, and it's sort of common practice in the industry. Are they close to their own electric vehicle? 
I mean, Ford, I think, you know, has shown a uh, electric car, uh, the, you know, the Ford Focus, you know, with, I think, now about 100 miles of range. You know, you know General Motors with the Chevrolet uh, Bolt with the B, um, you know, later this year will launch the uh, the first 200-mile, uh, over 200-mile electric car, um, you know, depending if, you know, the, the price, depending if you're using the federal credits or not, in the kind of high 30000 or low $30,000 uh, range. Uh, so, you know, I think, yeah, I think GM has been ahead in, you know, Ford as well in terms of the kind of, you know, 200-plus uh, electric a mile electric uh, car um you know and chevy also has the volt uh, with the v that is sort of a 50 uh, plus mile uh, plug-in electric vehicle that has a uh, a range extender for you know three to four hundred miles i believe uh, of total range um ite you were talking about the auto cycle and how this is different to other cycles can we ever go back to the way it previously was you write that fundamentally two things have changed from past cycles yeah, no, it's a great question. I, I think they have. I mean, cars are lasting a lot longer, so it's created, a, I think, a difficulty for forecasters to understand and know uh, when we go through, when we, you know, through a real replacement cycle. And then, and then the other change is a bit more complex, that we've seen more rapid movement in density and kind of the ratio of cars per household, which declined in the 0809 recession, and it has increased in the, in the last two years. And that can create you know, a little tiny change in that ratio can create uh, big changes in auto sales, as you could imagine. You know, our, our view, though, has been that, you know, we still think a lot of the replacement cycle, the scrap cycle, is ahead of us, just based on analytics we've done on the age of the fleet. And, and when we believe in this new day and age of longer-lasting cars, uh, cars, when cars actually uh, do become scrapped, which is why you know, our view has been for a while that we think we can be in kind of that mid-17 you know, million uh, or so SAR um, you know, through, through 2018. And we think 2018 is probably the peak year. What do you mean by, so let's just go back to density, because I think you make a very important point. The density factor is very important because, uh, you know, in your notes you say 1% decline in density means that basically 1 million less cars will be sold. Will it ever go back up, or how do you explain this blip? Yeah, no, it, it, right, because before 08, um, car density in the U.S. was either flat or, or increasing. I think what a lot of people uh, missed in 08, 09, what really shook the industry is so that for the first time, the ratio of cars per household began to decline. What that means on the ground is we were scrapping more vehicles than we were replacing. And, and it took years for that ratio to stabilize, and then in the last few years, it's begun to go back up. You know, we run a density, a proprietary density survey at City. We literally go out to thousands of consumers a few times a year when we ask them, you know, how many cars per household do you have today? How many might you have in two years? And then tell us why. Our latest survey, which we ran around, I think, mid-March, showed, uh, you know, kind of unchanged uh, dynamics versus our survey back in November, which is to say pretty flat and stable uh, out- outlook for for density. So, you know, we don't think that we're going to go continue to go back up, 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 you know, too, too much. Um, but we think it's relatively stable now. Uh, because I think one of the fundamental questions in, in this industry in the last few years, and by the way, it's going to become an even more important question when you think about ride-sharing car sharing and autonomous um, is how many cars per household do people really want to have um, it's not a need base and want base it's kind of a, a mixture of both um, and I think the best way to get at it is just to go out there frankly and, and ask and collect a lot of data which we've done so yeah that, that, so we take the a view of, of kind of the scrap um, as well as our density survey and put those together we get to that kind of mid 17 million view through 2018 Ita McCauley from City thank you very much for joining us this morning uh, Friend, uh, y- you're going to have a lot of cars in your family, I'm sure, when, when your kids get old enough, but you got a few years. <laughs> right. In the, I think in the U.K. in general, especially when you live in central London, our cars are smaller, and we're trying probably to, to go green more than in other countries.
Yeah, I, I just say, you know, give him uh, an oyster card and let him take two. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Don't teach him to drive. <laughs> Coming Bicycles. Up, we'll talk with uh, Yanis Varoufakis. Uh, he is uh, the former Greek pri- uh, finance minister. Of course, he's got a new book out, and the weak suffer what they must. We'll find out what he thinks of the Eurozone and its dealings with Greek. I can only imagine at this point. Futures moving higher. S&P futures up by five points right now. Dow futures up by 43, and NASDAQ futures are up by seven. This is Bloomberg Surveillance on Bloomberg Radio Worldwide. Coming up, though, with all due respect highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRover, tristate.com, or call 1-800-FIND-4WD for details. Land Rover, above and beyond. 